I sometimes feel like the days after Christmas are a bit of a no man's land. We spent the last month or so preparing, frantically buying gifts, putting Christmas together, making sure everyone's presents are wrapped, waiting in queues, preparing the Brussels sprouts and the stuffing, and making sure the, tur the turkey is tenderly cooked. That's generally what Christmas Day is like in reality for my family and probably yours too. And now we've had our Saturday night after Christmas laying on the sofa, binge watching Lord of the Rings. The quality street is opened, after eights in one hand, remote control in the next. It's time to relax because soon we'll be getting dolled up and ready to experience the hootenanny of New Year's Eve. Except one thing. That's not really how it's been this year. Christmas has had a kind of different atmosphere, hasn't it? I don't remember this year being in my 2019 New Year's resolutions. I don't remember COVID being a part of the fruitful and happy new year that was to come. I don't recall either the plans to include the disastrous forest fires in Australia or the horrendous killing of George Floyd or the explosion in Beirut or the earthquakes in Turkey or the cyclones in India. I don't recall the COVID-related complications of exams being missed, paused cancer treatment, mental health issues on the rise, suicides, job losses. I haven't considered any of those things this time last year. And in the midst of all this, this year more than ever, we're all looking for someone to give us some hope. And this morning we join a story that's not too dissimilar to ours. In fact, it's reassuringly the same. You see, we come to Malachi's prophecy, spoken at a time when the Israelites had expected loads of good and positive things to happen to them. They had just come back from years in exile and eventually returned home. Their temple had been rebuilt. The city was growing. Everything was set. Eager hearts yearning to see the fulfillment of that promised land, that milk and honey that God had promised. And yet that's not how it turned out to be. Everything had gone sour. Long hoped for prophecies hadn't been realised. The promise of restored power, wealth and prosperity ended up in isolation, political turmoil, social oppression and economic hardship. The land of milk and honey became the land of grief and despair. And I'm sure with you the contrasts are not lost. You see, in the midst of this despair, people look for a strong leader. Someone who can bring them peace in a world of instability. People are distressed in 2020 with restriction after restriction, lockdown after lockdown, with social distancing, having torn families apart. And look around, is there anybody in the world, really any leader on earth, to be found that could take us out of this? 
And so when we spend time coming to verse 1 of Malachi's chapter here, chapter 3, we hear the voice of God boom out. Behold, I will send my messenger. In the midst of everything, this is God's call to his people. I'm here. I'm coming. I will fix it. This is a God saying, prepare the way. I'm personally going to come to you. Now, as a side note, there's a few things with messengers going on in this part of Malachi's prophecy. Firstly, Malachi itself means messenger of God. So he's delivering a message. Then we have God telling us someone will come beforehand. And we know that that was fulfilled in John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus. And although he might not have known it at the time, Malachi then calls Jesus the messenger of the covenant. The one who will come to fulfill the promise. The one who will come to make new promises and new covenants. It's a Christmas announcement, isn't it? It's, de it's God declaring the intention of his incarnation. He's coming personally as God is stepping down from heaven into earth and into humanity to save his people and fulfill his promises. It's a big flashing light of a prophecy, a prophecy that says, get ready. We needed to be ready for Christ's birth. That's why we spent time throughout December in Advent. And we need to get ready for the second coming when he comes in the majesty and glory and his exalted state, which we spoke about, you might remember in our series in Philippians 2. Because in a situation like 2020, is it not even more important to seek God's promises out and dwell in them? In times of despair, it, it feels like we're all a bit bereft of faith. There are times when we are calling out to God with the same how long, O Lord, as the psalmist did. COVID and everything else that's happened this year has just as easily called our faith into question as it's raised questions of faith in others. You know, my time at Claremont has been different to some of the other placements I've been in. I've not been able to meet any of you face to face. But I, did, I have seen firsthand the work that's going on when people are focused to serving Jesus. I was thinking this week about the Advent windows all through December, the gift bags, the CDs for Christmas, all the services online, and I was wondering, what is that saying to the world outside? Don't you ever, do you not ever think about that? I wonder. I wonder if people around this church and around the members here think that. I wonder if they think why we're still worshipping in this climate. Why do we still have any hope at all? Why do they continue with their outreach and their preaching and all of that stuff? They look around and they see us doing new and creative things with worship. What news do we have that's good enough that we just have to keep going in the midst of everything that's going on? That's what messengers do. We prepare the way. We open things up. We demonstrate the hope that we have, as Peter tells us. 
It's why in our reading from 1 John, he says in verse 3, we proclaim what we ourselves have seen and heard so that others might have fellowship. That is the call. Because in him there's no darkness, only light. This is the message from him, John says, and now we declare it. In this time of despair and heartache and brokenness, we are responsible as disciples for that message. We're called to share what we know, brothers and sisters, that God in his infinite majesty has come into the world as one of us. So when people ask you, what just happened? We need to have an answer. And it would be fine if Malachi's prophecy could just stop there at the messenger bit. It's nice and tidy. It's nice and Christmassy and it's comfortable. It's easy to share that bit. Is it enough to know that he's coming? Or is it necessary to know what his coming will be like? What will it feel like? What will it look like? And that's why I want to take us specifically to Malachi chapter 3, verse 3. The Lord sits as a purifier and refiner of silver. Because I actually think it's a critical statement about God that is often overlooked. It's a description of God that we don't naturally associate with Jesus really very much in the grand scheme of things anymore. Even as disciples, we're really good at giving people the happy Jesus, the lovely Jesus. But sometimes like this statement straight from God's mouth reveals a deeper understanding about who we worship. The Lord sits as a purifier and refiner of silver. A refining fire. God's not just a fire. Malachi tells us he's a refining fire. And that makes such a difference. You see, a refining fire doesn't destroy indiscriminately, like we've seen with the Australian bushfires. A refining fire doesn't consume like an incinerator. A refiner's fire refines. It makes better. It purifies. It melts down bars of precious metal and removes the impurities, burns them up and leaves spotless pure and gold and silver. And when we look back in our lives and in our situations, just like the people of Malachi will have been doing, we might find a time, particularly this year, where that's been really real for us, that it's felt that we're in a fire. Because you see, it's not uncommon in the Bible for God to be referred to as a refining fire. It happens over 20 times and it's always to illustrate a relationship with his people. Isn't that interesting? When the Bible teaches us about God's relationship with his chosen people, he talks about him as a refining fire over 20 times. And so that tells us that God in his relationship with us is one of refinement. And as you've been thinking and experiencing of the coming of Jesus at Christmas, 
You've gone to know a God that's reached down and saved us whilst we were still sinners. But it's not just a God who saves us, who comes at Christmas in Jesus to redeem us, not only to rescue us, but to completely transform us. He takes us and he changes us. Last year, I went on a trip through Europe. It was a trip that had been planned for a lifetime, almost. And I went through France, Germany, Austria, Slovakia, and then into Hungary and finished in Budapest. And when I stayed there, I went to a cave church, which had been told had been a place of worship and solace for uh, a group of Pauline monks that had lived there for 300 years. When the Soviet Union occupied Hungary after the war, they tried to squeeze away any remnant of the Christian faith in Hungary. And eventually they regulated who could go to mass. And as one day the congregation went into the mountain, it's buried deep in a mountain in the Buddha part of Budapest. The Soviet army blocked up the exits and the door with concrete and let the people die of suffocation during mass. When I went to tour the church above the original door, there's a sign that hangs there and it speaks of this verse from Malachi 3.3 and it stuck with me ever since. The Lord sits as a purifier and refiner of silver. My guide told us the story of the priest who had placed it there. He told us during how his time of study had been taken up with Malachi's prophecy. And he came to verse 3 and was puzzled about what it meant. How could it possibly match what his experience of Jesus had been so far? A Lord so full of care and compassion, of justice and kindness, how could he sit as a purifier and refiner of silver? Why was that encouraging and comforting at all? And so he thought he would investigate the idea more and went to spend the day with the local silversmith, asking if he could watch him do his work for a whole day. He hadn't mentioned anything about why he was there. He just wanted to see how he worked. And as he watched the man work, he saw him take a piece of silver, a stone almost, like coal, and hold it over the white of the fire letting it heat up to an unbearable temperature that turned orange. He explained that in the process of refining silver, it needed to be held into the hottest, whitest part of the flame in order to burn away any of the impurities that might be there. It was so hot in the room that the priest noticed the silversmith's own face was burning, torching with the heat, and he asked him, why don't you sit back a bit? Why, do you take your, why don't you leave it in there and walk away to save yourself, save your own face from burning? The silversmith explained that he had to himself endure some of the heat because he couldn't take his eyes off the silver for a second. Because if it was left a moment in the heat longer than it needed to be, it would perish and be destroyed. And then as the day came to an end, the priest asked the silversmith, how do you know when this silver is fully purified? 
And the silversmith said this to him, well, you know, Father, you know when the silver is purified, when you can see your own reflection in it. It was that day, brothers and sisters, that this priest learned the true meaning of Malachi's prophecy. What Malachi meant in clear and pristine detail. He learned that the Lord sometimes places us in difficult circumstances, difficult realities, difficult years. In those difficult times, we experience loss and grief and hurt and pain and brokenness. And sometimes it feels unjust, horrible, unkind, unloving. But God knows in his majestic wisdom that this removes all of the impurities in our natures and our personalities and our being. It humbles us. We learned that again in Philippians 2, didn't we? How Jesus humbled himself. And the Lord himself sits and takes some of that pain for us. He's not just someone who puts us in there. He goes with us. His own face, in fact, gets burned in the process. He's so keen to look after us that he can't take his eye off us for a single minute because he would never want us burned or consumed. He never gives us more than we can bear. But the priest reflected on the greatest lesson that day. It was the answer to that question. How do you know when this silver is ready? And when the silversmith replied, when I can see my own face in it, brothers and sisters, this is your God. He pulls us through, guides us, lights our path, provides a lamp to our feet. He's with us in the darkest times, enduring the heat with us, enduring, ensuring that we're safe, knowing that in time we will be like him and he will see himself reflected in us. That's his aim. That was the point of Jesus coming, to draw us to him, to make us more like him. In grace and truth, to become like his son. That's the message of a reading from John today as well, isn't it? To be refined, to know Jesus, is to be like him. It's to let Jesus deal with us. But I have to say that I know in saying that God is a refining fire, that's fine and easy to, to hear at this moment if you're not going through that refining fire. Although we're all being refined in some way or other, and especially this time of year, and certainly after a year of 2020, some of us are more aware than others about what that refining fire feels like. Because we're hurting because we find ourselves alone this Christmas. Because we're sick or someone we had this time last year next to us is no longer there. Or perhaps we've been learning to wrestle with something inside of us for what seems like a lifetime. Or maybe our worry is getting a bit overbearing 
or maybe our anxiety levels are through the roof, confess that. It's okay. If we confess it, he'll listen. Because he knows we're all a bit of a mess at some point. But as we get to this time of the year, when we think about what happened, let's affirm that hope that we have. This is a hope that Malachi gave to the Israelites and they misunderstood it. That whatever the mess, whatever the situation that God is working in it right now, he's working in your mess, my mess, our personal mess, he's in there working. This is a God that took on flesh and dwelt among us. He walked our walk. He sat with us. He cried with us. He shared bread and wine with us. He's shared his pain with us. He's faced it for us. So he knows how we feel right at this moment. And if you're a Christian right now and you are hearing this, let me tell you something special that should fill you with hope and joy this day. Your judgment day has already come. Whenever you said, whenever you have confessed your mistakes, whenever you have acknowledged that you've made mistakes, whatever you've done, whenever you've brought them to Jesus, they've been judged. Because when your saviour looked to his father and said, it is finished, it was really finished. And now when he comes again, and he will, if Malachi is to be fulfilled, you are going to stand in front of God and give an account for your life. And here's the hope. If you don't remember anything else I've said today, take this hope with you. And more so, if you know someone or someone is watching this who is not a Christian, this is the hope that is for you too. Because on that day when you stand before God in judgment, he will open your file, it will be pulled out and it's going to be dripping with the blood of Jesus. And the reference point for your judgment is going to be the cross of Calvary. And because of it, you will be deemed spotless and holy in his sight. Not because of anything that you've done, not because of any mistake you've made, but because of what's been done for you. And so brothers and sisters, when you look back on this year and you are asked what happened, you'll know however difficult it was, your God came for you out of pure, refined love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have come at this time of year when we stand in the edge of a new one we acknowledge you as Lord of our life come into our hearts and occupy all the space be, let us be filled up with you and less of us this we ask in your holy name Amen <laughs>